Come on in. We were just talking. Welcome to the Open Marriage Podcast, candid conversations about life, marriage, and parenting. More honesty than polyamory, but we talk about it all. I'm Summer, and I'm joined in conversation by my husband, Jason. Tell me two things you're excited about right now. Get us going here. I'm excited about the sunshine because obviously we get a lot of rain here in Ireland, and it's been a bit gray the past few days, and so it just feels like the curtain got pulled back, and it's full of bright possibility. Mm. Love it. The second thing I am excited about is the tune and fair weather stuff. I feel like all of the work to get caught up on getting out all the orders for the backlog, that's done now. And so I just feel a similar bright opportunity space in moving forward and yeah, seeing what's next. So that's really exciting to me. Cool. I am excited about Taylor Swift's new album. That you can't listen to around the kids. I know. It's like our podcast. I can't wait. I've listened to about not not quite half of it. And I really, I'm really enjoying it. I'm also excited about reading for the second attempt, The Signature of All Things yes. by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's taken me a long time. I did first bit of the book and then I had to return it to the library <laughs> and I didn't pick it up for, man, has it been a year? I feel like I'm a summer reader. If I read yeah. one a year and it's over the summer. So this year, thank you. Let's At least work. now we're using the Libby library app. Yeah, so you don't have to take it back to the library. You can just click a button, tap a button and, and renew it. Yeah. And I'm very predictable because last summer it was City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert as well. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for my summer reading. But I'm at a really good spot. She's just left for Tahiti and is on her own adventure. And that's where it picks up for me is like, oh, thank God, we're finally, we're going on an adventure. All these sad things kept happening to her. Well, she's kind of locked up in that house for a long time. Yeah. And I feel like that's sort of, I an, relate. it's an unfortunate time to be cooped up with a fictional character when that's very much the theme of the moment. So going to an exotic mm-hmm. island Seems like a, just what the doctor ordered. Yes. So away I go. I shall keep reading. Look at you using the word shall. All, <laughs> all of this literature is just uh, mm. infusing you with culture and old English. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to talk about criticism. It seems like it's kind of an unwelcomed reality of life. And we had a bit of a moment this week where... We had an exchange of criticism. I don't think that was the intent, but that's how it ended up playing out and feeling. And it left me thinking about it in a couple different ways. And when I look back on the podcast that we've done, you kind of ask yourself, why are we doing this? And to me, I really appreciate that. I feel like we're talking about things that are difficult to talk about within a couple. And they don't seem like it. You're like, oh, sure, pleasure and vanity and, you know, all the topics that we've done. But they really are hard to make the time for, to sit down and decide, okay, this is where we're going to give our thought and our energy. And we have done that over the years. And having this intentional time now, it's causing us to reflect more deeply on some of these things as well. So I'm very thankful for that. But criticism, as I thought about it, I realized I'm kind of a tough love person. I'm very sensitive as a person and 
I'm very empathetic, and yet I have this combination of a really thick outer shell, and it's probably equally as good and beneficial as it is something maybe I hide behind and is, you know, too tough of an exterior. I don't know. I have a feeling we'll kind of explore that throughout the conversation. When I think about criticism and its role in my life, I go back to athletics and sports and I, it makes me think of coaching. And I definitely have my dad to thank for that too, because I feel like he had a real coaching spirit. He was always teaching us things, basketball out on the driveway, and he was the one practicing with us on anything. So there was a fair amount of criticism in our family growing up. And as always with anything, when you're taking feedback from a coach, I think you equally take it on board. And at the same time, in that moment, you kind of feel like, oh, give me a break. That dynamic is, it's an interesting contrast holding those two things. And so I began to see criticism as a very positive thing, again, through sport. If you were receiving criticism from the coach, it meant they were watching you. And it was a very positive thing because it meant you have a game that can be elevated. If you right, yeah. if you weren't that good, there was they there was time with you. Yeah, there's not that much feedback coming your way. To me, I've found it a sign of you have real potential. And the more criticism I got, the more I felt that. And so in some ways that's where I wonder, hmm, <laughs> did I go did I get too perverse with that? And even confuse for myself how I communicated with myself. Like, did I begin to confuse being so harsh and self-critical with positive attention? And that creates a curious dynamic in my own psychology that I'm, I'm kind of just seeing for the first time as I think about this. But I want to talk about, does criticism have a place? And if so, what is that place? And if it does, how do we balance it out to make room for it so that there is room for that exchange in our marriages, in our parenting with our kids, in our um, places of work where we're exchanging ideas? Because I get from our own dynamic, it brings a bit of a bruise. It's a tough thing to take on. Most of us don't like it. Again, I feel like a bit of an anomaly there. Like, oh, I'm open for all your criticism. What do you got? <laughs> so th there's a, a quote that I love. Uh, I know my dad would use it a lot, but the quote is, most people would rather be killed with praise than saved by criticism. Oh, I like that quote. You know I do, don't you? I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Why do you like it? Because I resonate with that. I think criticism is so helpful. And maybe we need to add constructive to that, which is always, you know, those, those things go together. Constructive criticism. Criticism, yeah. Is, being critiqued is not the same as being insulted. Yes. As someone who values criticism, I feel like it's my work in our relational dynamic and in myself to look at the side of tempering criticism and of finding that sweet spot and how you deliver it and how you come at it. And, and that's very tough, but you can only do that if you really value it. And I feel like the work of the other side, if you don't value criticism, is to begin to open yourself up and see 
what good it has to offer you. And I feel like that's kind of where you come at it. In my previous job, it was a video game company and things move really fast and you constantly have to be flexible and learn new things because the ground is always shifting under your feet. When I joined, I remember one of the things that really struck me in the the training. They said very explicitly, we are a sports team culture rather than a family Mm. culture. We're not here to, oh, that's just Uncle Joe who... You know, he's just a quirky old dude. He He's not very sharp, but we're just going to you know keep him around because he's family. And no, this is an environment where everybody has to be at the top of their game and there's no babying people. It's very much get up. Okay, like get out back out on the field. What are you going to do differently this time? Mm. And when I heard that, it was so like, <laughs> it felt so counterintuitive because I thought like, a company was sort of this big family atmosphere and everybody loves everybody. And that was a very different feel. Like it was a very kind of masculine energy of like toughen up, like, you know, let's do amazing things. Let's climb that mountain. You know, we're not going to, you know, baby you along. We have to toughen you up, which seems to be a theme of this podcast. And, <laughs> and it was so fortunate that I came into that environment because I was, my disposition was, was so much on the other side of, oh, I don't want to upset anybody, hard feedback. Let's just keep that to ourselves. Let's just sweep that under the rug and keep the peace and all of those things. And Riot Games, the company I worked for, uh, they described themselves as a feedback culture. It's so interesting to be talking about this now because that's what they were really championing was this sense of we get better together, but it doesn't happen by accident. It happens because we cover each other's blind spots Mm. and we all have blind spots and nobody is immune to it. And so we need other people to, again, in a constructive way, say, hey, I noticed when you took 20 minutes to deliver one single point in that meeting, a lot of people started to look at their phones or sort of glance around or tap their fingers, getting impatient, waiting for you to get to the point. I think you'd reach people a lot better if you very directly got your point across and finished the sentence. Mm-hmm. And obviously this was feedback that I got because yeah. <laughs> anybody who's listened to this podcast or eavesdropped up on us before we turned on the mics. Sometimes I, I can just enjoy wandering through the thicket and kind of going off the trail and, and losing the plot a little bit because I enjoy that exploration. But it can also be frustrating to listen to. That's one of my thoughts on feedback is I just think of that. What I learned from my former employer, I got a lot of very direct, sometimes bruising tough feedback. But I also had moments where my former boss, Ben, said, can I give you some feedback? And I just thought, oh, what am I doing wrong this time? (laughs) And then he just said, hey, you did a really good job on this whatever. He gave some attaboy positive feedback and that was it. And there was, it was not a feedback sandwich of say two positive things and then slip in the, oh, and here's why you suck and you'll never be worth a damn, (laughs) (laughs) but we'll make it okay because we'll, you know, just put this little candy cookie crust around it. Yeah. It was just a, hey, you're doing well in this particular area. And, and that was it. And that was the end of the sentence. And, and so that was also really impactful. 
Mm. because I still have that negative mind assumption. Criticism does immediately seem to light up the negative mind. Maybe that's why it's so challenging to receive is because it takes real work to cool that down. Too often, we're not willing to do that, or we don't even catch ourselves that we would benefit from toning that down and receiving whatever information is in that and is being offered. When I look at criticism and I see the role that it's played in our relationship and even some of the stories you're telling now that come home from work, criticism has a unique place in teaching us or helping us to anchor to ourselves. It causes, if you're open to it, really honest self-reflection. You have to take the information in for yourself and weigh it. And it causes you to stand firm. Once you can decide for yourself what the benefit is in that information, you get to completely decide, is this something I'm willing to attach to and own? Or is it something I need to let go of? That exercise is extremely difficult to do. We take on everyone's opinions. We're, We're raised by parents who are you know, the deciding force. At some point, we have to learn to stand on our own two feet. And I don't know another way to teeter and totter and wobble back and forth in that insecurity in an effort to find that centering, grounding stillness. You have to practice it. You have to come up against other people's criticism. And I see this. It's funny. We could look at it really broadly at current culture, how this is playing out coming up and through the workforce and through college and through high school teenagers and what's going on with them. But we don't even have to. We can look within our own marriages. Our marriages crumble under the weight of each other's criticisms. That's a really destabilizing reality. And so I guess I'm curious if we look at ours as as a test case, how do we better ourselves to give and receive criticism? I want to hear your thoughts on what this process is for you in receiving criticism, what it's felt like, how it's beneficial, how it's been hurtful. And my side of it is how I work at toning that down and tempering it because I find it's very easy to give criticism. We're all very critical human beings. (laughs) We judge one another. We don't like the way our kids do this. I mean, I, sometimes we have a two story house and I can listen upstairs. It's almost like this very strange objective reality where I get to hear what's going on without being in it. It is so harsh and unfriendly, but I hear that because that is my reality. That is typically what I bring to our family. What do you hear? There's like this quick tempered talk and get in here and do this or you mess that up again. And Are you talking about me talking to the kids? Yes, but I'm saying I hear that because that is what I bring. That is the energy I'm very sensitive to uh, okay. because I, sure what you're I to, yeah. am, I have typically been the disciplining voice, the voice of discernment and reason. And I hear it because I think you've also absorbed it from me. I'm, I'm not saying I hear it phantomly. Everyone's absorbed it from you. Liam talks to Rowan that yes. way. Yes, yes, Rowan, exactly. you're not going to do that until you get done with your like, I know, we like have lectures a very <laughs> serious voice and tone. I'm becoming so sensitive to it because I now see it's my own work for myself, 
but then also for everyone in the family that I've affected that we need to tone this down. Rowan talks to Judy, her stuffed animal that way. It's, I know, the mom so, voice. It's so funny how it goes down. It just... I know. My mom friends that I really admire, a big part of what I admire about them is their tone control and mm-hmm. how they're mm-hmm. always, well, I won't say always, but how I often get to hear them addressing their children in, a, in an honest way, but in a very loving tone. I always pick up on that because I think that's my lifelong work as a person is to hold tight to my core of honesty, but to be able to deliver it from a place of love that doesn't spike one way or the other, extremely negative or extremely, you know, woe is me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I did that. And mm. just to, to hold to my truth, but to do it lovingly where criticism comes in, like I'm okay on the honesty front, but my work is to work on the delivery and how it comes across. And as I can hear you guys doing it, I, I see my own reflection and, it, and I can hear what I need to work on. I'm like, oh, I see. Yeah, we don't have to say it quite like that. And yet we can still communicate it. It is so interesting to me to hear you talk about how sensitive you are because for so long, probably even still, if I'm honest, I am very intimidated by you. <laughs> <laughs> I get very nervous when you're upset. I think you have a very strong, forceful presence. When you are upset, you have a very withering, I'm not mad at you, I'm just disappointed. Like <laughs> that, that just feels worse than, I'd just rather you were mad at me because it feels so unbearable. Part of that is my, maybe all of it is my own insecurity of the more pointed that feels, the more it rattles my sense of this person is always going to love me. I just think of some of these phrases like unconditional love, those ideas that we use, but we're not sure if they're actually, you know, if it's the reality of like something that actually exists or if it's something that we just hope that exists. My buddy Derek Webb sings about this on his album about the loss of his Christian faith, the disillusionment that he underwent, and he talks about it in the context of God being this unconditionally loving figure, but then who, if you don't keep his commandments, then he just turns his back on you and sends you to hell. All of this uh, Old Testament smiting God kind of stuff. And that's a God that is very popular in a lot of quarters because he's this no-nonsense guy who all the people you don't like, he just gives them, <laughs> you know, the, the what for. The line in the, in the song that always got to me was, excommunication never made much sense to me. Just mm-hmm. this idea of how can you excommunicate somebody if you love them unconditionally? And so there was this paradox that he was sorting it out. And he had also gone through a break in his previous marriage. Derek popped into my head. He's a songwriter, just for context, and you should go listen to all of his music. But he did a lot of podcasts around the time that he released this album. One of the things that he talked about when people asked him about all of the unasked for criticism that he was getting about how he had let down his his ex-wife. And he said, first of all, I couldn't take on all of that criticism because I couldn't have survived it because it was so searing and everybody just thought I was this pariah Mm. and he said I had to get to this point where I realized that if you aren't in my corner if you don't truly care about me aren't invested in my life don't want the best for me 
then I just don't have time for your criticism. He's like, if you are invested in me, if you love me and not in that love the sinner, put you on blast for the sin, and your feedback is coming from a place of truly driven by care, then I will let that through that boundary because I can't let everything in. That popped into mind as you were talking about how do we filter out the criticism that's not valuable. That's what was so difficult for me is that I felt like you had to let every bit of criticism in. And not just from every person, but even from just a single person, sometimes your partner, sometimes their criticism is helpful and sometimes it's not. And that's been a learning process for me is that sometimes you give me criticism that isn't helpful and I actually need to stop it at the customs checkpoint and say, okay, I can't let you in because this is damaging and it's not actually reflective of how I truly think or how I truly feel. This is a misreading of my inner reality. So I'm just going to have to stop you right there. And and that's the difficult part because then it's so nuanced, then it's not all or nothing. Then you have to really go through that hard work of the sieve of figuring out, okay, what do I let through? What's going to help me? What do I stop? Because it's not helpful. I wonder, are we off the mark with criticism? Would it be more beneficial to replace it with curiosity? thinking about it in practice, what does it look like in our relationships to practice curiosity? And as you're receiving what sounds like criticism and, you know, under that familiar guise, receiving it from a place of curiosity becomes not an assumption that the other person has you pegged, but a question of what is playing out right now? And what is this feedback? And even on the giving side, thinking about approaching someone from a place of what you see, but asking the question like, why do I see this? What What is this that I see here? Do you feel this? Do you sense this? Approaching it from those questions like that, I still think it's very difficult to engage with because that right there is nuance. And yet it's felt and received the same way. The other person hears it as an attack. I feel like that's our default. The challenge is to work to bring those defenses down and ask the same questions again and see if there's anything there. I see the challenge of when everything is about you, you're so tender, you're so sensitive, and everyone's opinion sways you. But if you can find that core within you to listen and not be completely shaken by it, when you can listen like that, you can let it go because you already know for yourself. I don't know how we begin to let that lead out where we can allow other people to have us wrong. That to me is the benefit of why it's worth this tug of war with criticism because it can bring you to a place of real security and sense of self where you can let other people's opinions about the world or about you fly around you and still without deflecting them completely, still like reaching out for any question, but like you said, not taking on too much, also having that filter. I see criticism builds that self-filter. And I, I think it's painful for people who can't take criticism. And it's painful for the people who are, like you said, with the sports analogy, trying to win the game and feel they cannot bring to you the critique of how you're kicking the ball right there in a way that would improve it. And I don't know how we deal with that dynamic in marriage and with our kids. Because I guess when I think of our kids, 
I am not especially interested in raising delicate snowflakes who can't take other people's opinions, but I also don't want them to be beholden to everyone else's opinions of them. It's a very tricky balance to get. It's just an ongoing curiosity. It's one I feel like we do well sometimes and don't do well at others. It's so strange to me that I started my career as a critic. (laughs) (laughs) Have you paused to think about that, that I spent the the first probably 10 years of my professional career writing critiques of music albums and films and then video games. I was so practiced at doing that and yet was so terrible at taking criticism myself. (laughs) You know, in Ratatouille, in the Pixar film, there's that beautiful monologue at the end of the critic. The character, the critic, his name is Anton Ego. Anton Ego. (laughs) In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations. The new needs friends. Last night, I experienced something new, an extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross understatement. Of course, this chef is a mouse (laughs) that he's referring to. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusteau's famous motto, anyone can cook. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. It is difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now cooking at Cousteau's, who is, in this critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest chef in France. I will be returning to Cousteau's soon, hungry for more. That's cute. I can't believe you remembered that to tie it into this conversation. (laughs) Ratatouille, folks. But creativity is such a vulnerable act. And it doesn't matter if you've been a chef or a painter or a writer or a filmmaker for your entire life, because the next thing you write, that is something new. Because that thing is new, it is embryonic. It is, it's fragile. It's unexplored. You know, it's new terrain, or it's a new thought you've had that you haven't vented or haven't expressed. And because of that, the harsh glare, the furnace of people's opinions can absolutely turn that spark into a turn it into a piece of ash whereas encouragement can actually fan that and build it up stephen king writes about it in his book on writing as well where he talks about the fact that when you have a new project that you're working on when you have a new novel that you're writing to be very careful about sharing it too soon because it is so embryonic it's still forming and you don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. And so just keep it very personal. I keep it just almost like in that biblical story of Mary, just treasured in your heart, just keep it to yourself. And I think that is also the challenge as people 
who have opinions on art, who have opinions on other people's lives and the way they live, because the way you live is an act of creativity. Every new idea, every new career step, every place we move is a new creative act of bringing into being our future. To just be gentle, be gentle in the way that we express those things too, like Anton Ego said, to just check our expectations, check what we thought was possible or who is has a right to be in the kitchen cooking and realize that those embers are very, their glow is very faint and at the start. That's a challenge to me because I feel like our children are those embers. Yeah, I'm having real time softening around this, rethinking my comfort level with criticism because, yeah, when you think about how you approach children, if you use that as the example, even their creativity as it's developing, you don't want to tell them how to paint. You also don't want to look at their painting and say, oh, that's terrible, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and you almost don't want to make any judgment. You just want to enjoy it. Oh, wow. Look at the colors you use there. And that leaves so much open space for them to make their own assessments and opinions of how they feel about their work. And I, I'm going to really think about this because I can see that when I look that far back, I have a little bit more difficulty seeing that between you and I and allowing that space for, hmm, that's interesting the way you did that, (laughs) as opposed to, let me tell you how to do that. (laughs) I think I've, I've probably been too comfortable with being the critic in our family, and I can see some room to scale that back. I love that idea that you shared with me about judging other people's work and how it exposes the place that you're coming from, thinking creatively oh, yeah. about like speaking harshly against other people, doing something you want to do, something really profound that you shared. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do that. I sit back and I kind of moan about the way other people are doing something that I'm like afraid to try or <laughs> thinking I could do something better mm, is like mm-hmm. this shallow place of not really being honest with yourself that you're too afraid to even try. Are you talking about the Roosevelt quote about the man in the arena? The one that maybe Brene Brown, I'm reading from the website mental floss, but it says of uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Roosevelt railed against cynics who looked down at men who were trying to make the world a better place. Quote, the poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. He said, a cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize work, which the critic himself never tries to perform, an intellectual aloofness which will not accept contact with life's realities. All these are marks not of superiority, but of weakness. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls, who neither know victory nor defeat. If you try something, if you take a risk, there is a chance of failure. That is just one of the most sure guarantees in life. 
there's a lot that is within our agency and within our control in terms of turning those gambles into a success. You know, we can measure the wind direction and we can run all the numbers. There is so much that is out of our control. And so I think that's where just a huge amount of humility comes in. Not just humility with our own both successes and failures, but humility with others' successes and failures, because they are also subject to the vagaries of fortune and luck and happenstance. That's a valuable quote for me to come back to. It just reinforces that need to be humble in both the giving and taking of criticism. Yeah. And that is how we got to this conversation. I feel like I have a long way to go in this regard, as I'm even realizing through this conversation. But I've also made a lot of progress. And a lot of that progress has come through practices of mindfulness, meditation, movement practices like yoga. They've really transformed my sense of self in our family and the dynamic that I bring. This particular conversation comes out of a run-in that we had this week around the giving and taking of criticism. And I feel like in that conversation, you might feel differently, but I feel like I worked really hard to deliver it in a very fair-handed way. And yet it was still received very tenderly and it it kind of inflamed again. And then I lost it for a moment, but I feel like I was able to bring it back down and we finished that conversation. But the beauty of it, of that humility piece that you're talking about that is so beneficial in the giving and the receiving, it is the practice of that humility that helped me deliver it with more thought and more care. And it's also that same practice of humility that I take with me when I leave that conversation and I go, what is that about me? Why am I so comfortable handing out criticism? And why do I think other people should be able to take it? No problem. You know, like toughen up here. And on thinking of that and reflecting on it, that's how we get here. And we have this conversation and I realize, man, you're right. That criticism is not something to be thrown around without care. If I want to use it constructively in our family, and I do, then I look at the people around me and how they're responding to it, and it gives me pause for reflection. Like, man, I'm not getting this right. And I really appreciate that dynamic. It illuminates how these difficult conversations filter out and work on both sides. You have your own things to walk away and think about, and they're different from mine. And yet when we both do that work, we get farther. This is a bizarre connection, maybe, but I had this visual from some old health class video of all the sperm like swimming towards <laughs> an egg, all the little wiggling flagella, and they're all like crowded around it, egg or the ovum or whatever it's called. It only lets in one sperm in to, f- to fertilize it, but they're all the, all the other sperm are like sort of at the boundary of the egg, like sort of wiggling and trying to get in. I feel like I'm imagining those sperm as criticism, like people with opinions, everybody who think they know how you should be living your life. The reason I love the image is because there is something beautiful and life triggering about the helpful criticism that you let in. And like it comes in and it literally fertilizes something inside of that that then starts multiplying in the the way that a zygote begins constantly. The cells start doubling in size. 
So I love the idea of the new life starting and starting to multiply. But I also love the image of all those little fuckers outside (laughs) who aren't allowed in because we don't have to let every single one in. Yeah, I love that. That's that's it. That's the whole analogy. (laughs) That's what a creative one it is (laughs) in relation to this conversation. I had one thought that I wanted to insert, but I want to just seed it, pun intended, because we were just talking about sperm. (laughs) Uh, I want to seed it as a a conversation to come back to in a future podcast. Okay. Uh, Because I think there's a nice little connection point. And it's when we were talking about working with our children's unique creativity and those embers, that Mm -hmm. idea of their embers, because I feel like that's a whole conversation in itself. Mm -hmm. And my favorite graphic novelist, Craig Thompson, in his book Blankets about his Christian upbringing in rural Wisconsin, he has this one part in the book where he has a picture of a naked lady, a very crude one that he drew as a child. And he talks about coming home from school and this piece of paper that he had balled up and thrown away or his teacher had fished out of the the rubbish bin and and it was this picture of this naked female with you know little circles you know for boobs and a child's drawing but his mom was telling him i am so ashamed of like why would you draw something like this and that feeling it just is so it's chilling because I can relate to that that feeling of just having creative urges, things you want to say that you just know are going to be unpalatable mm-hmm. to people that you care about. Yeah. And he gets so wounded. There's this image of him just with his shoulders sunken, standing in the shower, and the water is coming from really far away. And he talks about how it's he feels so dirty and the water... It's not helping him feel clean and he just feels all the shame and, and those sorts of things. And you know, in his artwork, he's wanting to explore and think about sexuality and all these things. And then he's made to feel ashamed of that. And I bring that up because I don't want to end this podcast on a downer. I always want to try to end on a hopeful note if we can, but we're entrusted with protecting that ember of our children's creativity and their their curiosity. And those are the exact same thing, creativity mm-hmm. and curiosity. And we either help incentivize and reward them and congratulate them for exploring difficult areas or we punish them for it Mm. with our displeasure and with our parental disappointment and I want to come back to that and discuss how we champion our kids' creativity and curiosity as they explore life and and take risks and make decisions and, and bring about new life in their own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. That's a good one. Can I be close to so much for listening and sharing your time with us let's all keep the conversations going if you're curious for more of ours subscribe and hear it all until next time be well (laughs) 